Well, let me ask you to open up to 1 Corinthians, uh, the New Testament letter from Paul to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. I want to ask you to turn to chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I want to begin, as we often do, with, with a question. And the question I have for you this morning is this. You, you see how you would answer it. What comes into your mind when someone mentions the Lord's Supper? What is, what is the first thing that comes into your mind when maybe outside of the church in conversation or just uh, throughout the, the, the regular routine of a day, someone somehow mentions the Lord's Supper? What, what comes into your mind? What feelings come into your heart? Perhaps those who haven't had much experience in church uh, immediately think of the famous Leonardo da Vinci painting, The Last Supper. Uh, that painting is interesting. It's, it's one of the most famous paintings in the history of the world. Uh, Jesus there in the center and the disciples along the side of, of the table. Um, it's interesting because they're all sitting in chairs, and that's not at all how first century Jews ate. Instead, they, they reclined on cushions around a, a low table, and so that would have been a more accurate depiction. Maybe you've read in John 13, 25, where we read that the Apostle John was leaning his head against the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you wondered, how was that possible? How was John leaning his head against the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if they were sitting in chairs, that would have been kind of... Kind of an odd thing to do, but it's because they were reclining on cushions um, that it was much more easily done. Uh, The other interesting thing about that painting is that Jesus and his disciples are all sitting on one side of the table, which I'm sure made it difficult to have good good conversation over the Last Supper. Uh, The main difficulty with that famous painting is the fact that we really don't know what Jesus or his disciples looked like. We're almost certain that Jesus did not look like the pale, uh, effeminate man with flowing locks of hair that we see uh, in that painting. I find it interesting that Jesus tells us to observe the Lord's Supper in remembrance of me. But he never had an artist paint his picture for us to remember him by. In other words, we are to remember Jesus not by what He looked like, but by what He said and by what He did. Back to our question. What what do you think of when you think of the Lord's Supper? For many Roman Catholics, the, the Lord's Supper for them is a mass, and it's mysterious, it's supernatural, it's, it's a magical kind of thing. They believe that the bread and the wine, uh, when it's blessed by the priest, actually miraculously become the the real body and blood of Christ. And they believe that as that uh, bread and wine come into their body, there's a real mystical infusion of grace that happens as they take the elements. Um, As far as those Roman Catholics are very serious about their doctrine, they look at the Lord's Supper as a a miraculous experience. But what about us who are Protestants? I fear that many who grew up in Protestant churches feel the way I did as a child, 
during Lord's Supper services, I felt the Lord's Supper was absolute torture. Uh, We would come into the sanctuary, and I would see the element set out for the Lord's Supper, and that told me, uh uh-oh, this service is going to last even longer today. It meant we were going to have to wait for the deacons to pass out all those elements. Um, Everything was going to get unusually quiet and still. And when you're six, seven, eight years old, it's like, what is this? Why does this have to happen? Uh, Before I was baptized, I had to watch others get to have the bread and the juice, and I didn't get any, and I didn't like that. And then after I was baptized, I got to have the little bit of bread and juice, and that was almost worse because it just reminds you of how hungry you are and and ready for lunch. And so frankly, when I was a kid, I I did not like the Lord's Supper. It, It felt like torture. It was not something I esteemed or enjoyed. But this is not how the Christians of old looked at the Lord's Supper. In the early church, the Lord's Supper was a time of celebration. It was a fellowship meal that centered around the consecrated bread and cup. The church had fellowship together. They rejoiced together, and they did so because of their common salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. During the days of the Reformers and the Puritans, the Lord's Supper was seen as the highest act of worship. It was considered a sacred privilege, Not just anyone could come to the table of Christ. Only those born again by the Spirit of God, showing this through a life of fruit-bearing, could come. And to eat and drink from Christ's table was to eat and drink from the loftiest table in the world. It was better than dining with the, the King of England or the King of France. It was to partake of the Lord's Supper. By allowing Christians to eat from his table, Jesus was saying to believers that he really was their savior. They really are his bride. As the Christians of old ate the bread and drank the cup, Jesus was preaching in visible form that all of his benefits are now their benefits. That he is the nourisher and the sustainer of their souls. Put simply, to the godly Christians of old, the Lord's Supper was considered one of the most precious, the highest, the dearest moments of their regular life. Well, as we continue to study the Lord's Supper this morning, we come to the primary question that we need to answer, which is this. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Why do we practice the observance of the Lord's Supper? We've already seen in our past Lord's Supper services that that there's this horizontal aspect to it. That this is a supper that we take together as Christians. We've seen that it was a full fellowship meal, but that at some point the consecrated bread and cup was taken, reminding us that it is Christ that has saved us. It is Christ who has made us one. In the early church, some churches took the bread and the wine before the full meal. Some of them took it at the end of the full meal. Here we're doing it here in in the service and then going over to the fellowship hall for the full meal. But we still have not yet dealt with the primary and most important question. Why? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? And when we answer that question rightly... I think it helps us to receive the Lord's Supper as we ought to, with joy and with thanksgiving 
and with hearts full of worship. And so now we come to the most important paragraph in this passage on the Lord's Supper. We come to verses 23 through 26. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. This is the Word of God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks... He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So here we have the Apostle Paul writing to these Christians in the city of Corinth. This church was disordered in a number of ways. Um, They were celebrating the Lord's Supper uh, in a way that was full of sin. Uh, Paul said in the paragraph we studied above this one that what they were observing could not even be called the Lord's Supper. Because the wealthy were gorging themselves on their meals that they brought from home. And the poor brothers and sisters in Christ around them were being neglected and were going without. The very truth that the Lord's Supper was supposed to convey. The truth that we are all one because Christ has died for us as a body on the cross. It was being undermined. It was being demeaned by their actions. And so Paul is writing here to bring correction to the Corinthians. And he writes this paragraph because he's bringing them back to what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be all about. He wants to remind them why they are to take the Lord's Supper and why they are to take it in a godly way. And so he points them back to Christ's institution of this supper back in the upper room, back on the night when Jesus Christ would be betrayed because that's where this all began. And what do we see here? Well, first and foremost, we see that the Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ as a meal of remembrance. A meal of remembrance. Jesus sat with His disciples at the Last Supper. He gave thanks over a loaf of bread and a couple of wine. He broke the bread, representing His body. Each man took a piece to eat. The cup of wine was passed around representing Christ's blood and the new covenant in that blood and each man took a sip. And Jesus said after both of those elements that this was to be done again and again for what purpose? That he would be remembered. So this is the first and the primary purpose of the Lord's Supper. It is a practice meant to aid us in remembering Christ. It aids us in remembering Christ and His substitutionary death for us. So I want to suggest this morning that receiving the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ must include three things. And I think you'll see this as these unfold, that this has to be true. Receiving the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ includes these three things. Number one, it means remembering with our minds certain gospel truths. 
Number two, it means being affected in our hearts with those truths. And then number three, it means strengthening our wills with those same truths. So the Lord's Supper is about remembering certain truths in such a way that it affects our hearts and affects our wills towards godliness and Christ-likeness. And so what I want to do is take each one of those one at a time. Number one, receiving the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ includes bringing to mind gospel truths. What, is it, what does the word remember mean? It means to bring something to mind. Isn't that, isn't that what it means? It's how we use the, the word all the time. I'm, I'm headed out the door. I, I realize I don't have my wallet. I have to stop. I have to remember. Where, where is my wallet? I have, to, I have to call it to mind. Oh, that's right. And then I, I can go get it. Uh, here in our country, we celebrate a day called Memorial Day. And yes, many people go on vacation or have cookouts and go to the lake on Memorial Day. But what is Memorial Day about? It's a day for us as a country to bring to our minds something that we often don't bring to our minds. Something that we often forget. Namely, that our freedoms have been purchased and protected through the shedding of human blood. Men and women gave their lives for us to live with the freedoms that we have in this country. We set aside this day, Memorial Day, to remember, to bring back to to the conscience of our society this truth. It's important enough that we don't want our society to ever forget it. Well, Christ has called His church to practice this memorial meal because there are certain facts that are just too important and too vital for them to ever be lost. The Christian church can get caught up in so many other realities. Think about how much else the Christian church needs to speak about. The Christian church needs to speak about morality. We need to preach about proper behavior and improper behavior. We need to spend time talking about abortion and homosexuality and other forms of sexual immorality. In our church, in our culture, a church is unfaithful if it does not take time to teach on godly entertainment versus ungodly entertainment and the Christian view of amusement in one's life because we live in a culture where all of us are being tempted towards ungodly amusement. Churches need to call their people to to tell the truth, to walk in integrity, to stand up for justice. Churches need to get political from time to time, speaking biblical truth to power, calling on leaders and citizens to honor God and repent of sin and follow His ways. Christ calls His churches to stand for truth on matters of the family. We have to talk about marriage. We have to talk about parenting and singleness and divorce. And then we're also commanded to lift up the needs of the poor, and the oppressed, and the widow, and the orphan. We're to learn about our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can better lift them up and pray for them. Churches have to learn to address the attacks of our secular age, and so sermons have to be preached against the, the new atheism and showing why an evolutionary worldview cannot hold water and On and on and on we could go 
with things that churches have to address these days in order to be faithful. Jesus called the local church to be a pillar and a buttress of truth. But dear friends, not all truth is equal. And not all truth is equally important. And there is a constant danger that in the midst of all these other issues that we must address, we might forget what is the most important truths of all. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul said to these Corinthians, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Have you ever read Corinthians? He talks about a lot of other things than the crucified Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about lawsuits. He talks about church discipline. He talks about spiritual gifts in the church. He talks about the Lord's Supper. He he talks about marriage. He talks about head coverings. He talks about all kinds of things in Corinthians. And yet he says, I chose to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. His point was, this is the truth that is supreme. This is the truth that must not get lost in the midst of other truths. Indeed, every other truth must be subservient to this truth. Every other truth is only true because of this truth. This is what the church must herald above all. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is a sad reality that over time the followers of Jesus can lose the gospel. In the pursuit of good things we can lose the main thing. And therefore, the Lord's Supper is a practice that Christ instituted for His church to regularly remind her of the most important truth of all, the Gospel. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, Christ is bringing us back to those most important truths. He's he's bringing back to the forefront of our minds what might have gotten pushed aside by other things. It is only the gospel that is good news. It is only the gospel message that we believe and are saved. And it is through faith in the gospel that we have been united to Christ. And it is through faith in the gospel that we are united together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Other truths are important. No truth is more important than the gospel. And so, as the deacons are passing out the elements of the Lord's Supper to you, what are you remembering? What are you bringing to mind? This is the time to rehearse in your own mind the most important truths in the world and in your life. I am a sinner against God. God is holy and perfect and true and too pure to look upon evil. Jesus Christ came to save my soul. I deserve hell. And He bore the wrath of God in my place. And through faith in Him, I have the promise of heaven in front of me. John Owen says, that which we are to endeavor in this ordinance is to get a view of Christ as lifted up, that is bearing our iniquities in His body on the tree. 
Oh, that God in this ordinance would give our souls a view of Him. That's the goal, church. That our minds, as the elements are being passed out, be brought back to the cross of Christ in its context. It's not just remembering that Jesus died on the cross. It's remembering why He died. What He saved you from. It's the time to remember your guilt and how undeserving you are. It's a time to remember the heaven that He saved you for, all the blessings of adoption that have come to you because of His death. All of these things are to flood your mind as you're holding that piece of bread, as you're holding that cup of juice. The Lord Jesus Christ dying in your place on that hill. But you can't stop there. Number two. Receiving the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ must include affecting our hearts with those gospel truths. Christ is not simply calling us to bring these truths into our minds and yet to feel nothing about them. There would be no good sanctifying effect on us if we just rehearsed these truths in our minds like we're rehearsing our multiplication tables. That would do us no good. Think about Memorial Day again. What good would it do our nation on Memorial Day if we remember those men and women who died for our freedoms and yet we feel nothing? If we yawn and say, so what? Memorial Day is good for us as a nation because it humbles us. It causes us to feel gratitude towards those who lived and died for our protection. It causes us to want to honor them and and to take good care of those who have fought or are fighting for our freedoms. In a very similar way, we are to remember Christ in the Lord's Supper in a way that affects our hearts. One Puritan said, Our hearts should burn with affection to Him. When we remember the great floods of wrath that broke in upon Christ's soul, and yet could not drown His love for us. As you hold that piece of bread signifying Christ's body broken for you, you're not simply to remember the Gospel and yawn. You are to be moved. You are to consider that we are talking about the Son of God. God Himself broken for you. You are to reflect on the humility of Christ. That he was willing to do this. He was not forced to do it. He, he willingly, out of love, had his body broken for you. You're to reflect on the endurance of Christ, that he was willing to endure so much. At any moment, he could have called it quits. Any moment, he could have called the angels of heaven to rescue him from that tree. But he persevered in love for you. You're to especially reflect on the love of Christ. Oh, what love that would cause the Son of God to shed His own blood and bear His own wrath for us. He was stripped of His garments that you would be dressed in His righteousness. He chose to wear a crown of thorns that you could wear a crown of heaven. He was pierced for your transgressions that you would be made immortal with a glorified body and soul. 
Jesus was the sacrificial lamb whose blood was shed so that you could enter the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God Himself. Don't let us ever forget the Lord's Supper is an element of worship. And worship is an act of the heart. The worship your God desires is worship welling up from your very soul as you stand in awe of this great thing that Christ has done for you. You have the ability, dear Christian, to affect what your heart delights in. During the Lord's Supper, speak to your heart these most precious of truths. Spur your heart on to worship. As you take the bread and the cup, you are taking to yourself your own personal pledge of salvation from Jesus. Christ is, as the deacons are placing into your hands the bread and the cup, they are instruments of Christ. Christ is placing into your hands the bread and the cup, and He's saying to you, you are mine. This is the appetizer of the great feast that you're going to have with me one day. And as you take it, you should worship. And so we bring to mind gospel truths and we dwell on them so that our hearts are moved to love Jesus more. And these same gospel truths should move us to hate our sin more. The Lord's Supper has such a sanctifying effect when it is taken well. As we consider the cross, as we think about what took place on Golgotha 2,000 years ago, we cannot help but grow in our love for Christ and to grow in our hatred for the sins that put Him there. I'm going to preach this the way an old Puritan named Isaac Ambrose did. He said this. He said, Oh, the curse and bitterness that our sins have brought on Jesus Christ. When I think of those bleeding veins those bruised shoulders, those scourged sides, that furrowed back, that harrowed temple, those pierced hands and feet, and then consider that my sin was the cause of it all, I think I need no further reasons for abhorring my sinful ways. Christians, would your hearts not rise against any person that would kill your father? or your mother, or your brother, or your wife, or your husband? Would your hearts not rise against any person that would kill those most dear to you in this world? Then how do your hearts not rise up against sin, since it was sin that murdered your Christ, that killed Him? He who was a thousand, thousand times dearer to you than all your other loved ones, One thought of this, I think, should be enough to make you say with Job, I abhor myself, I repent in dust and ashes. And then he says this, Oh, what is that cross on the back of Christ? It is my sins. Oh, what is that crown of thorns upon his brow? It is my sins. What is that nail in His right hand and that nail in the left hand of my Lord? It is my sins. What is that spear piercing the side of Christ? It is my sins. These are all my sins. My sins. My sins. 
Mount Hermon, as we take the Lord's Supper, those gospel truths that we bring to mind should move our hearts to overflow with love and gratitude towards Christ, and it should grieve our heart over every sin we've committed. And therefore, number three, number three, receiving the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ includes strengthening our wills through these gospel truths. Strengthening our wills. Jesus is not calling us to remember Him in a way that has no lasting impact. Jesus is not calling us to remember Him in such a way that we leave this place unchanged and unresolved. Jesus is calling us to remember Him in a way that our wills are strengthened so that we leave with greater resolution, purpose, commitment to walk as those for whom Christ died. We are to leave here with an undaunted tenacity. We will honor this Lord who loves us so much. Having received that bread and cup from His hand, having received His promise of the heaven to come at the cost of His broken body and shed blood, we will honor Him in our thoughts and in our speech. We will honor Him in the habits that we take up and the habits that we rid ourselves of. We will honor Him in our homes and in our workplaces and anywhere else we may be. So help us, God, we are intent on living as Christians. The first effect that these gospel truths should have on your will is the effect of moving your will to take the bread and the cup. That is, not one deacon in this room is going to force you to put that bread in your mouth. Not one deacon in this room is going to open up your mouth and pour the drink in. This is Christ's table set before you. Jesus is the one who invites you to eat of it, and to drink of it. He is the one who calls you to trust Him as your Lord and Savior and to proclaim as you take the Lord's Supper that you are His and He is yours. Paul says each time we take the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming His death until He comes. Your taking of the Lord's Supper is a choice that you make. It's a choice you make to profess to your soul, to those in this room, and to God Himself, that you are taking hold of Christ as your only hope of salvation. That all other ground is sinking sand. You're putting your eternal fate into this belief that Jesus is sufficient to save you. Mount Hermon, do you not delight to profess this in the Lord's Supper? Your minds think about these gospel truths. Your hearts are affected by these gospel truths. And then you act on those truths. How? By putting the bread in your mouth. By drinking the juice. And as you do, you're renewing your commitment. You're saying again, I know who I am. I am Christ. And then we leave this place. And we act on that commitment. We must not be hypocrites who sit in this room and resolve as we take the bread and cup and say, I'm committed to be a Christian and to live as a Christian. And then we walk out of this place and it's gone. 
We are to remember Christ in the Lord's Supper in here so that we can be refreshed in our purpose to live for His glory out there. When I was a kid and later a teenager, I attended so many services where I saw people making recommitments to Christ. The preacher would say something like, Dear Christian, have you begun to turn away from Christ? Have you not been living as a Christian? Have you gotten caught up in some besetting sin? Come down to this altar. Pray to recommit your life to Christ. And often at the end of revival services and youth camps, they would share the numbers. We had 50 recommitments this time. Mount Hermon, we do need to recommit ourselves to Christ every single day. We do need to make fresh resolutions to walk worthy of the Lord we serve. But Christ has provided us a regular means by which we recommit ourselves to Jesus. Observing the Lord's Supper is a recommitment service. The Lord's Supper is a time when we refocus on the Gospel. We come to the table of our Savior and we recommit again. We, if maybe we've been, we've been straying. We bring ourselves back in. We repent in dust and ashes and we, we recommit. We're going to follow Jesus and the power He gives. This is how meals work anyway, isn't it? You eat, you get strength, you put that strength to good work, you begin to grow weary, you get famished, you come back, you eat again, you get re-strengthened, and you go back out. That's exactly how the Lord's Supper works. Your soul needs to be refueled again and again. Your soul needs to feast on the truths of Christ's love for you again and again. And through the Lord's Supper, Christ lifts up your drooping head. He strengthens your spiritual knees. He picks you up off the floor. He sends you back out into the world with renewed confidence. You can do all things through Christ who is your strength. And so Mount Hermon, let us learn to observe the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ. The bread and the juice have no special powers. They are simply visible, physical ways to help your soul feast on the gospel. Bring to your mind the gospel truths. Affect your hearts with the truths of the gospel. And then in wonder and amazement that Christ loves you so very, very, very much, resolve to live worthy of His name and leave this place to serve Him in all of your callings. That is how we take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him. And we're going to do that now. Let's pray for God's help.